0: Welcome to the Chris Rawl Show on today's episode. Quarterbacks, 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 quarterbacks. Saying one quarterback won a game over the other is recounting history. It's not a stat measuring the quality of their play. Those are words I came across in the last week from Bill Barnwell of ESPN, who writes about the NFL. They stood out to me for a wide variety of reasons. Uh, Also, at the same time, during this week, I was listening to a podcast, and the hosts were discussing the Ben Roethlisberger, Eli Manning, Philip Rivers draft class, uh, and just talking about quarterbacks in general and kind of comparing who they thought was better here, there, there, which I'm always interested in because I think the position is fascinating. However, I usually find myself getting very frustrated the longer the conversation goes on because the hosts fell back into a tried and true formula that drives me to insanity. They started talking about Super Bowls and they started saying, well, yeah, Roethlisberger and Eli, they both have two Super Bowls and that's a very clear separator from them versus Philip Rivers, which I do not believe in whatsoever. Uh, I believe that Philip Rivers is... Probably as good as Roethlisberger and most definitely better than Eli Manning. I don't even think that's up for discussion, but that's my own personal opinion. However, I find it fascinating and maddening at the same time that this is a continual talking point as we discuss individuals. Team success and how that always reflects back onto the individuals. So I read those uh, words from Bill Barnwell. One quarterback wins a game over the other. That is recounting history. However, it is not a stat measuring the quality of their play. And that stands out to me. That means something because I believe that as well. Um, And I've believed that for many years, as I've discussed on this show multiple times. Uh, And and as it pertains to this show, uh, kind of the launching off point was the NFC championship game last year. Uh, This show started a few months after that. And that's one of the games that just was fresh on my mind because the Packers had lost and Aaron Rodgers had played really well and came up short again, and it just seemed like it was another chapter in a book that never ends. Uh, Aaron Rodgers playing well, Packers coming up short as a team, and then everybody pissing on Rodgers for that. So this game occurs, which I've talked about many times, so I won't dive in super deep. But as I think about this podcast I was listening to, and I think about what Barnwell's saying within this article that I'm reading, and I'm thinking about the NFC Championship game, and I'm going, yeah, I mean, it checks all the boxes. Rodgers throws for 350 yards in that game. He throws three touchdowns. His one turnover was an interception that had blatant pass interference on it that was uncalled. Um, and he, I mean, he was the sole reason that Green Bay had even a chance. On the opposite side of the ball, Tom Brady, he gifted the Packers three second half interceptions that allowed them to hang around and be in position to try to win it at the end, which they came up short. So who wins the game? The Buccaneers. And what is the prevailing narrative coming out of that? It's Tom Brady beats Aaron Rodgers. It's Tom Brady is greater than Aaron Rodgers. Here's another obvious example because he's the ultimate winner and his team beat Aaron Rodgers team. So um, when it comes to what Bill Barnwell was writing, it's true what he says. That saying one quarterback won a game over the other is recounting history. That is a fact. That is true. The problem is our tendency to explain a game through that line, saying one quarterback beat another. And the fact that when we do that, a lot of times our minds don't separate the individual from the outcome in the sentence. So it's all globbed together. One team beat the other. Well, that means this quarterback must have played better than the other quarterback. So this is something I'm always thinking about. This is something that I feel compelled to point out again and again and again and again, because. It never ends. Examples of it, and also the unwillingness of most fans and most media to discuss football in the more nuanced terms that I believe it deserves. A lot of things go into a game. You know, the stuff I'm always shouting about beyond quarterback performance, factors in, but it's one small piece to the puzzle. And if I die in 20 minutes, if I drop dead after recording this, this is one of the things that I want everybody to remember that quarterbacks can play great and lose or play terribly and win. That's true of every athlete in every sport, but quarterbacks is the one that it really drives me into insanity because it's the one position we're always talking about. It's the one thing I'm always going to be shouting about into the void until I'm gone. It's the one thing that I've been shouting about for years and years and years. And most people, I don't think, really care to listen. They like the binary way of deducing team outcome and individual and clumping them together. So along with this uh, thought process, there's a thing that really starts percolating near the end of every season that I also find to be just a kind of caveman logic. And as we get further in the season, we kind of reach a crescendo as fans and as media who can and who cannot win a Super Bowl when it comes to quarterback. I I heard this thrown around and talked about a lot over the course of last week. Jimmy Garoppolo plays the Titans and he does not play well. He's one of the quarterbacks that people get really heated about when it comes to this. Can you win or can you not win with Jimmy Garoppolo as your quarterback? Kirk Cousins against the Rams on Sunday, another quarterback who's clumped into that. On the other side, Matt Stafford, who ended up winning that game, uh, but did not play well and has looked pretty shaky for at least a month. Matt Stafford's another one of those quarterbacks. There's a whole, whole bunch of them. That middle, you know, if if you're separating the quarterbacks into the top 32 starters, it's pretty much anybody who has not won a Super Bowl checks that box. Or people feel compelled to argue. Can you actually win with this person? Because I remember when they threw an interception or they fumbled or they didn't play well in this game and their team lost. And I just don't think you can win. And I always push back and I go, okay, okay. I hear what you're saying. And Yes, these quarterbacks have very noticeable flaws as virtually every quarterback does. That's not, you know, two in the history of football or one. Um, Are these quarterbacks, Jimmy Garoppolo and Kirk Cousins and Matt Stafford and Matt Ryan going on the list, are these quarterbacks perfect? No. Would I want them playing for my team? I don't know. It depends on who I already have. Again, a lot of nuance goes into this. Um, However, when you're asking the question, can you win with them under center? That's where I always say, well, yes, you can. It is harder than if you have Aaron Rodgers under center or Tom Brady or Josh Allen or Justin Herbert or that small select group of quarterbacks that I believe are uh, the best. But you can still win with them. Again, it will be harder. And they will do dumb things that will make you want to smash your television and just lose your mind. But you can still win with them. You know, uh, we we can look back within the last 20 years and remember, Nick Foles won a Super Bowl. Eli Manning won a Super Bowl. Two Super Bowls, actually. Brad Johnson won a Super Bowl. Joe Flacco won a Super Bowl. Uh, These are all quarterbacks that are not in the grand scheme of NFL quarterbacks, very talented when held to that standard. And they have all won Super Bowls. Would it have been easier for those teams if Aaron Rodgers had been playing for them? Yes, probably. But the point is, you can still win with them. So I mentioned the podcast that I'm listening to. And it kind of, it it kickstarted this whole conversation in my mind. Because they're talking about Ben Roethlisberger, who I've talked about some on the show this year, but I've talked about a lot just in conversations with my friends in life because for whatever reason, I'm betting on the Steelers every week and it's the worst experience. And Roethlisberger is on death's door in quarterbacking terms. He just is. It is my least favorite experience of the entire week to sit and lay money on the Steelers and then try to stomach four quarters of Roethlisberger, duffing balls into the turf and waddling around the field and just doing maddening things that I can't fully explain. I feel like I need to drink a whole bottle of Pepto-Bismol just to get through this experience. It's horrible, and I keep doing it. I keep doing it, okay? So each week, I'm screaming at the TV, and I'm going, the time has come. You just got to get out of here. You just got to gotta go retire. Your time is up. It was up years ago, but... For whatever reason, I can't quit betting this team. And so you really need to leave to save me from myself, okay? So these hosts of the podcast, they're talking about Roethlisberger and just how poorly he's played this season, but also his career in a larger context, which is very illustrious and decorated because Roethlisberger, he's been one of the best quarterbacks of his generation. And so once we get into that discussion, which I do find to be interesting and fascinating, and worthy of having when you're trying to separate quarterbacks and individuals and say, who do you actually think is better out of these people? I find that to be interesting. Uh, When we start trying to do that, there's a lot of things that can factor into that, pretty much a million. But one of the things that always enter into the discussion, and in my opinion, takes a very uh, large bite out of it in a way that doesn't measure up with with how I am watching football, win-loss record and Super Bowls. Those are the things that always come in which is a small part of it, no doubt, but much smaller for me than most. It's a very small part of individual performance because you always have to contextualize. If they won, how much of a contributing factor was this person to the victory? That's always the thing that I'll ask. And so I'm listening to this podcast and they're going, yeah, Roethlisberger, I mean, he's one of the all timers and he has two Super Bowls. That's a thing that they keep going back to. Two Super Bowls, two Super Bowls, two Super Bowls. And I don't want this to sound like I'm knocking on Big Ben because I actually do believe Roethlisberger is one of the best quarterbacks of his generation. However, I find it interesting when stats are just thrown around. Things that did occur, Roethlisberger has won two Super Bowls as the starting quarterback of the Steelers. However, There's always more to the story than just a simple stat that you can hang on and say, well, this is why this quarterback is better than this. Because I go, I remember the first Super Bowl victory for Roethlisberger with the Steelers. It was in the 2005 season. And they made the Super Bowl and they played in February of 2006 against the Seattle Seahawks. And the Steelers beat them by 11 points, 21 to 10. It is probably the most boring and ugly Super Bowl I've watched in my entire life. And I remember that game going, man, Roethlisberger is not playing well, but the Steelers are a good team. And they ended up just kind of suffocating the Seahawks. So I was thinking about that and I go, I can't remember what his box score was, but I want to go back and look. And so I did. And it was even somehow worse than I remembered. Because in a Super Bowl victory, Ben Roethlisberger went nine for 21, 21. For 123 yards, zero touchdowns, two interceptions, for a passer rating of 22. The biggest play of the game was a pass from Antoine Randallel, who played quarterback at Indiana and then was drafted as a wideout, and kind of a gadget player for the Steelers. He throws a long pass to Heinz Ward. That's the separator within the game. It's a pass thrown from a wideout to another wideout. Roethlisberger has a passer rating of 22. This is what we're talking about when we use Super Bowls as a binary separator for individual performance. It doesn't hold the weight always that you think it holds in your mind because the way it's discussed, Big Ben quarterbacking, the winning team in the 2005 season is more impressive for most fans and most media members than a whole wide variety of losing efforts. It's more impressive than the finest performance of Tom Brady's playoff career. Super Bowl against the Philadelphia Eagles, second time around when he goes 28 for 48 for 505 yards and three touchdowns in a loss to the Eagles and Nick Foles. So as the years pile up and we're separated from them, and I'm listening to a podcast about Roethlisberger and Rivers and Manning and just these other quarterback contemporaries that have played in the last 20 years and you're throwing in Breeze and the other Manning and Rodgers and Brady and all that kind of stuff. The longer time goes on, the more we gravitate towards just saying, did you or did you not win a Super Bowl? Roethlisberger won a Super Bowl in 2005. That is a great indicator that he must be a better quarterback than some of these others who don't have a Super Bowl or who have less than two. Now, you can see why this would be problematic. You can see why I lose my mind when I hear quarterbacks being separated into tiers according to Super Bowls one, which is a common thing. You know, you have Dan Marino and Jim Kelly and Phillip Rivers and all these, they're good quarterbacks, but they never won a Super Bowl. So they can't be compared against these. And then there's the one Super Bowl crowd. And yeah, Aaron Rodgers is great, but he only has one. And Drew Brees, he was great, but he only has one. And there's the separator, the next one. And we go, yeah, well, there's the Mannings. Eli Payton, they both have two, and John Elway grabbed the two at the end of his career and Big Ben and so on and so forth, all the way up to Tom Brady, who in most people's opinion is unassailable as the best quarterback ever, which I do not share that opinion. He is the winningest quarterback ever. That is a fact, but a lot goes into that, and it is not necessarily a direct measurement of individual performance. So this is where I get my megaphone out. And I scream into it and I go, there's a lot that goes into a football game. There's a lot that goes into a football game. There's a lot that goes into a football game. We have examples of this every single week over and over and over. Uh, the last show was about my experience watching Aaron Rodgers on Christmas. And I mentioned within that game, just it seemed very strange as the Browns were driving to presumably win down to ball at midfield minute left. And I was watching my worst fears play out, which is Rodgers play really good. The opposing quarterback just play like garbage and the Packers somehow find a way to lose because the Browns nearly defeat Green Bay in a game that Baker throws four interceptions and Rodgers has three touchdowns and no picks. And that would have been maddening, but it also wasn't necessarily the story if you were looking for why the Browns were in position to win had nothing to do with quarterbacking. You know, that was dragging them down in the game. Um, it The story of the game was the Cleveland Browns run game was unstoppable by Green Bay's defense, and they ran for over 200 yards, and they gashed the Packers for over eight yards per carry. And even within their two-minute drill, they're running Nick Chubb on handoffs. Two-minute drill at the end of the game. And that's how they get to midfield. Had nothing to do with Baker. So luckily, things go the Packers way. So I can feel like there is some small semblance of justice in the universe and that the quarterback who played better than the other, his team ended up winning. Not always the case. Not always the case. Because I start thinking about the last month. And I just go, yeah, this, I mean, again, this stuff happens every single week. And when it's a lesser quarterback, I think it's easier to comprehend... What I'm talking about, just, oh, this quarterback might not necessarily be better than that quarterback because his team won. Week 15, a week prior, maybe the signature win of the week was the Colts over the Pats on Saturday night. It's kind of the Colts stamping their mark on the season saying, we are here as contenders in the AFC. Patriots came in on, I believe, a seven game win streak. The Colts kind of slap him around and they leave that game uh, and everybody's fired up about Indy and as they should. But the winning quarterback in that game, as I mentioned on a different show, was Carson Wentz who went five for 12 for 57 yards with one touchdown and one interception. He had a QBR of 32. He had a passer rating of 49. None of those stats are good. And nobody talked about Carson Wentz in those terms because Carson Wentz hasn't won a Super Bowl Uh, and so we're more able to bat around the idea. Oh, there's a lot that went into this football game besides a quarterback who threw 12 passes that amounted to 57 yards. So in that game we go, oh yeah, how did, how did this team win? Well, it most assuredly had nothing to do with their quarterback. It had everything to do with the two core tenements of their identity. Jonathan Taylor going nuts in the game, running for a bunch of yards and touchdowns and their defense forcing a boatload of turnovers. Defense that forces more turnovers than any in football. They did that in that game. The exact formula they've been using to win all these games as the year has gone on. So it's easy to understand when Carson Wentz is the quarterback. It's less easy when Big Ben's the quarterback because we know Big Ben is good at playing quarterback. And yet we retroactively go into the past and say, well, he's won two Super Bowls and he won that Super Bowl against the Seahawks. That's a huge feather in his cap. Maybe that doesn't paint the full story. The same week, week 15. Colts beat the Pats. Sunday night game, the Saints beat the Buccaneers. And if you wanted to describe it in factual terms, you could say Taysom Hill beats Tom Brady. He beat him. Just like Trevor Simeon beat Tom Brady earlier this season in the prior Saints-Buccaneers matchup. So both of those things are factual, but it's also very easy for our minds to not take this to the extreme in a way we do many times because nobody hears that sentence and thinks, Taysom Hill is better than Tom Brady. Nobody hears the next sentence and says, Trevor Simeon is better than Tom Brady. And yet when the roles are flipped and... Tom Brady throws three picks in an NFC title game and Aaron Rodgers throws 350 yards and three touchdowns and one interception that should not have existed. It's our logical conclusion to say Tom Brady is better than Aaron Rodgers. So Taysom Hill beats Tom Brady. Trevor Simeon beats Tom Brady. It makes sense how absurd our quarterback fascination is when you utter a sentence like that. Because, while factual, yes, the Saints beat the Buccaneers 9-0, while factual, Taysom Hill <laughs> Taysom Hill in that game was what Taysom Hill is. He was 13 for 27 for 154 yards, no touchdowns, no picks, 11 carries for 33 yards for a whopping three yards per carry. He had a 27 QBR. He had a 66 pass rating. Again, not good stats. And as it turns out, Taysom Hill might not have been the story of the game. And nobody thinks that because it's Taysom Hill. Um, but if a different quarterback was in his place, one with a more notable pedigree, it makes it easier for our brains to kind of think that the quarterback played a larger role than they did. If it's Ben Roethlisberger in that role, if it's Aaron Rodgers in that role, if it's Tom Brady in that role, we like the idea of, well, this quarterback willed their team to victory. Rather than concentrating on the story of the game as we were able to do because Taysom Hill is the quarterback of the Saints two weeks ago. The story was the New Orleans Saints defense suffocated Tom Brady and the Buccaneers offense. They just suffocated them. Relentless pass rush, covered people. Bucks had a couple people go down with injuries. That hurt. And they just couldn't do anything at all. That's it. That was the story. And we know that. Because of who was under center for the Saints. Week 13. You know, this is all within the last month. Um... There's the game that I spent some time talking about, so I won't deep dive into it, but the first Patriots-Bills game, it was just, it's catnip for somebody like me because Mac Jones had to throw three passes in that game. He was two for three for 19 yards and New England won the game. Mac Jones had a 4.5 QBR. (laughs) 4.5, that's on a scale of zero to 100. And this was the peak of the Mac Jones celebration. Because the Patriots were playing good football. They were winning. And a lot of people associated Mac Jones' play with the Patriots winning and said there's no difference. There's no difference here. So as much as we want to celebrate the Patriots coming out of the woodwork and stringing together a bunch of wins and playing good defense and controlling the ball on offense, we're not going to separate that from Mac Jones' performance. So we'll praise these equally. And I kind of pushed back a little bit on that. And since then, the Patriots have lost two games, including a game against the Bills that was not played in a, a hurricane. And now things have completely flopped. And everybody thinks Matt Jones is the worst quarterback ever because he didn't really play well against the Colts. He didn't really play well against the Bills. Now, the answer is obviously probably somewhere in the middle of these two extremes, where we were after the first win against Buffalo, where we are present day after the last loss to Buffalo. But do you sense a common thread with how logic is applied to quarterback performance and team success? Same week, Kansas City Chiefs beat the Denver Broncos. This is week 13. It's a Sunday nighter. And the Chiefs win, and Patrick Mahomes is one of the best quarterbacks in the league. And he just didn't play well in that game at all. He was 15 for 29 for 184 yards, zero touchdowns, one interception, QBR 42, 57 pass rating. And this will be a a win stamped in that column for the Chiefs and for Mahomes as his career goes on. And great, that's cool. But the story of each individual game, it's always somewhat different. Um... Patrick Mahomes, he has rescued the Kansas City defense many, many, many times over the last three years. He has played outstanding in games that Kansas City has ended up losing because their defense has been bad. Now, what's been interesting and a little bit strange is to watch the reverse happen multiple times within the last two months as the Chiefs have turned their season around and turned into the odds-on favorite in the AFC and the odds-on favorite to win the Super Bowl right now in Vegas. It's been interesting to watch this transition because the Chiefs' defense has been spurring that. They've been phenomenal. Forcing turnovers every game, going out of their minds, getting pressure. And Mahomes has not necessarily played well for the majority of those two months until recently. And now he started to catch fire against the twice against the Raiders and once against the Chargers. And now that's why we sit here going, ah, the Chiefs look as scary as they've ever looked. But if we're just talking about one individual game, Chiefs-Broncos. It's easy to separate individual performance from team success and say, yeah, it's not a knock on Patrick Mahomes to say he didn't play well in that game. He didn't, but he also had a team around him that was able to strangle life out of the Broncos, and that's why the Chiefs won that particular game. Now, these are these are all just examples from the last month. But every week you have them if you pay close enough attention. If you watch games and you don't necessarily use a five-minute first-take argument as the basis for your opinion, I think you get a grander sense if you just sit down and watch a full football game. I think you get a sense of everything that goes into it and just, wow, there's a lot of weird things that swing the outcome of a game that you can never encompass in a five-minute ESPN talking head argument. That's why it's always going to be who's better, Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady? Who's better, Ben Roethlisberger or Philip Rivers? Who's better, this person or that person? Um, Within this same year, you know, it works both ways on quarterback performance, team success, all that kind of stuff. How they're not attached to the hip in the way that we want them to be. Because some of the best quarterback performances of the year, they've come in a loss. Two of them really jumped out in my mind as I was thinking about this. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, his best game of the season, in my opinion, was at Minnesota. He threw for 385 yards, four touchdowns, and no turnovers. He was immaculate in the game. And the Packers lost. One of only three losses on the season. And the story of the game was the Packers' defense in full meltdown mode. Special teams doing what their special teams does. Mason Crosby missing a 30-yard field goal. Darnell Savage dropping what would have been a game swinging interception with about two minutes to go in a tie game would have given the Packers the ball and the chance to go down and kick a field goal with no time. Instead, he drops it and the Vikings, they take that opportunity and they zip right down the field and Greg Joseph kicks a field goal with no time on the clock. Vikings win. Uh, that's a loss in the column for Aaron Rodgers, but it also was, again, in my opinion, his best game of the season. That goes into a football game. Week one's the other one that I was thinking of because the Dallas Cowboys have turned into one of the very best teams in football. Uh, I think they're a terrifying team to have across the field from you when it's playoff time. Uh, I think they probably have the best defense in football as of right now and their offense is just scary even though they haven't necessarily played up to their standards um, for a lot of the last month and a half. But week one, they play at Tampa Bay. And it's one of Dak Prescott's best games of the season. 403 yards, three touchdowns, one pick. And it's just in the face of this relentless Tampa Bay pressure over and over. And he's making incredible throws all over. And it comes down to Mike McCarthy kind of botching some late game management, as Mike McCarthy is wont to do. And then Brady zipping down the field on the other end to set up Ryan Suckup for a game-winning field goal with no time. These are two of the best quarterback performances I've watched this entire season. They both come in a loss. Just like a bunch of these other performances I've listed over the last month that quarterbacks, when they were not playing well and their team won. because again, these are not things that are always attached at the hip in the way that they are made out to be. Um, A team loss is not necessarily a measurement of the quarterback's play. Same as a team win. Because team outcome and individual performance can be very, very different things. Thank you for listening to Sports with Chris Roll. If you have any themes you would like me to explore or would like to contact me and connect in any way, please email me at chris at ceo.com. Again, thanks for listening.